podcast. What a pleasure it is to be here in the Millennium Noggin to deliver another action-packed episode of the podcast. Action-packed. How are you, Rodan? Mate, uh, I wouldn't mind a few mushrooms, but apart from that, I'm pretty good. Uh, post, uh, post-surgery, of course, yeah. so uh, balls deep into a hernia uh, operation last, uh, last week, mm-hmm. so I'm in, in recovery. Yep. I'm in the, uh, the recovery ward. Yeah, so look, it will remain to be seen as to whether the, uh, the mesh that's below the, the surface... Lurking of, beneath. Lurking beneath actually has any impact on the aesthetics of the uh, abdominal Maybe region. Maybe it'll be uh, aesthetically pleasing. Yeah, Maybe well, it, will, it will just tighten that midsection up a little Ooh, more. Yeah. You I asked to say for a short back and sides while she was down there. I said, look, you know, while you're down, down there, there, just get a little bit of fat out, yeah. get a, a bit of liposuction. Get and, psh- and she said she'd give you an outie? You want, yeah, you want, she you want said, an outie? She goes, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really tuck that mofo in I said, well, you know, I said, man, Audi looks pretty cool. I said, mate, and she goes, well, I'll knock one of those up for you. I mean, every Saturday night when I have my uh, treat meal, it becomes an Audi anyway. So you That's may as true. well just, That's just true. knock it that way. That's true. Yeah. 24-7. Right. Now, Rodan, after the after having Broderick Chavez, the mm. evil genius on uh, the program mm. last episode, mm. talking about athletes versus bodybuilders. Mm. The oh, grey elephant. Yeah. <laughs> grey elephant in the room. <laughs> grey elephant in the mushroom. M- mushroom. In the course of that conversation, he had to sort of reference his uh, enthusiasm for anabolics and, yeah. uh, and pharmacology and yeah. what can be done with the yeah. human human physique and human yes. performance, yeah. pushing the extremes of the envelope. Yeah, yeah. And, and look, it, 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 it's quite funny. He just doesn't understand anybody that doesn't use anabolics. Do yeah. It's like, why, why don't you want to? I don't understand. <laughs> like, yeah. Why don't you want to be jacked and strong and, and recover quickly and... and you know, there's no real negative health concerns. Like, yeah. what's the issue? What's the issue? Well, it's yeah. illegal, Broderick, for a start. <laughs> I don't know, that might be an issue. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, he's... Uh, yeah, that's that's his uh, his world. Yeah, that's his world. So we thought we'd go even deeper into that no. world. And then, <laughs> this week... Balls deep. This week we're having a discussion of enhanced versus natural. Mm. And mm. this will be fascinating. Yeah, it will be fascinating. Yeah. Interestingly, I... Um, you know, I, I think I've referenced on the program when we've talked about mushrooms before... <laughs> That uh, you know, there's 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 a study out there that there are quite a few reference. You know, two groups: one training, one not training. One not training, uh, doing nothing. The other tra- <laughs> training natural. The not training, I think they had 600 milligrams a week of uh, testosterone, and uh, they they I think they put two to three kilos of muscle on in a in an eight week period or whatever it was. And uh, you know, the the unenhanced or the, the natural group who are training and you know specifically driving hypertrophy, ticking all the boxes or more boxes, I should say. You know, again, uh, you know, uh, 200 grams of muscle or something. So mm. even in the absence of training, you know, using, uh, yeah, you know, uh, not really. I mean, 600 milligrams is still, you would deem that super physiological. I mean, yeah. still, you know, would probably put you uh, upper limit around 30, say, probably put you up around 45 or 50 on, on the reference range. Mm-hmm. In, in certainly in the, the way bloods. we read it. Yeah, the yep. nanomoles per deciliter, yep. nmol, whatever it is. Um so it definitely is uh, sort of double where you'd be uh, normally. So I understand why. Uh, but, you know, Menno Hanselman was talking to me. It's, um, and we have referenced, the, you know, the, the mechanistic target of rapamycin, this mTOR enzyme, which is the, the master enzyme that, that, that the anabolic cascade uh, falls under. Yes. And this sort of orchestrates the, you know, looks at energy, looks at the androgen status, looks at the stimulus that we just applied and, and sort of orchestrates all those things. And, and the result is this uh, lovely muscle mass accruing over time. But mm-hmm. interestingly, anabolics just stimulate that mofo independent of training. Yeah. So mTOR is getting switched on just by, by having a, you know, a high level of androgens uh, in the body and that will yes. make sense because that's one of the things that mTOR will look at yep. androgen status and if there's this abundance I mean it would be sending the signal to the body well clearly we need to grow more muscle we yeah. look at this androgen level so yeah fascinating but yeah. that's what we're going to talk about today with we'll, Broderick yeah we'll talk to Broderick uh, about the playing field so mm. to speak and he's mm. yeah, this will be fascinating I'm really looking forward to it so, so yeah you've had uh, some experience of late with uh, well look just to, without uh, naming names without naming names at all mate and I tell you what going through this experience it gives me uh, a new respect or a deeper respect for what you do mm. uh, with your clients so because yeah. I haven't worked with that many guys that have um, gone down the enhanced path mm. the scenario was um, great young PT things weren't feeling quite right or, or happening the way they should went mm. and did a round of tests and had very low testosterone levels yep. it was recommended that he start some sort of therapy mm. 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 Uh, and he thought well I will do that but maybe 
maybe we'll maybe just a get chat the, with Rawdon yeah, first. Yeah, let's, let's see what Rawdon says. Well, more of everything he <laughs> yeah. said. Let's just get the show started with a bit of a bang. Mm. And so over a period of time, and I've been training this guy for a while, mm. in the six to eight weeks it's been, there's been uh, basically his scale weight has gone up a good 4.2 kilos mm-hmm. and the skin mm-hmm. folds have come down, you know, about a percent. So it's been... But, a, no, n- but noteworthy. It, it's very strange to have someone coming in uh, on a you know, weekly or fortnightly basis and seeing the scale weight continue to go up and up and up and have is no, that, no is, change in skin folds. Is know. that uh, also with the, with calories to support? Like, are you throwing some, some uh, energy at him? There was some there was some energy at him. We've just pulled it back a fraction just to tighten things up before another big energy burst. He just okay. wants to, you know, have the abs out and on the beach swanning yeah. around a little bit. As you do. And, As and, you what's, do. and, and so it's all been smooth sailing? Or what, what well, was the last assessment? It's what lulled me. It had lulled me into this... Into this I guess a false sense of security that we can just chuck anything at you anything. And, and you're just going to your body's going to do exactly yeah. what, what we want it to do that's what happens and he came back in and uh, for the first time in the in the presence of restricted energy mm. and a few other uh, steady state variables mm. so got, energy balance had been manipulated energy balance has been manipulated scale weight continued to go up but the mm. skin folds had come up and he oh. was looking noticeably puffy and, and it was just it was that's a, not a good thing it it's was, not going to be good for the abs on the beach Tom no it was a very strange scenario and there was a bit of a little bit of back and forth and a, we picked apart all the variables and mm. And, and all the things that it could be. And at the end, I said, okay, don't sweat it, because there was mm. an introduction of a new compound and a few different bits and pieces. Mm, mm, mm. And um, having had a discussion with you, and, and you'd caught up with him the week prior, yep. there had started to be some signs and symptoms of a little bit of you know, enhanced aromatase activity and maybe yeah. the, the estrogen, estrogen levels, levels yeah. starting to um, fluctuate manifest. a little bit. Starting to manifest. And the nipples were a little bit tender. And, yes. and he was certainly describing... Uh, you know, a fairly snappy, irritable mood set. Yeah, well, uh, estrogen yeah. will uh, inherently, those, those <laughs> characteristics will uh, uh, come along with the estrogen. Yeah. yeah, look at the women in the world. I uh, mean, they're, they're snappy, cranky. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh <laughs> what are you talking about? You're so I'm bright. Talking, <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about from a scientific perspective, Tom. Anyway, mm. um, and, and so there was this general, maybe a bit of fluid retention, a bit yep. of puffiness. He looked a mm. little bit fleshy through the face. <laughs> and it just was. Sounds a, very attractive. It was it a change. It had changed yeah. quite a lot in, in a short period of time. Yeah. And uh, it would seem that what's happened is after six to eight uh, weeks of the, the dose that he was taking, he's mm. reached some sort of saturation level, yeah, yep. peak levels. And for whatever reason, for his personal individual variability, yep. he those elevated testosterone levels are causing more aromatase activities, yeah. producing more estrogen. Yep. And the anti-estrogen that he's taking is maybe not quite enough to balance that out. So then that's come up and now everything's gone back to normal and he's starting to drop body fat and looking great and feeling good and everything's fine. Mm. But what I did think was once the hormones start moving uh, mm. moving around... Nothing so comes for free, Tom. Nothing, it's very, very interesting. And let's say you're working with a competitor or someone yeah. and, and they want to... They've you don't know where they're getting the getting the anabolics yeah. from and maybe they, they try Who something knows? new or they get this or they get that and it could cause an array of downstream effects yeah. and maybe they're eight weeks out for a comp and they come in and the skin folds have gone up and you're like okay well we're dealing with a yeah. living breathing human here yeah. who's different from this person yep. taking these things mm. you know how do you manage how do you how do you manage the the yeah. hormones and the compounds and yeah. the pharmaceuticals like yeah. it's a really murky tricky yeah. Well, the first thing you do, Tom, is you, you find the results. Yes. So you say to him, you're on track. You're right. <laughs> yes. You know, like the skin folds have come down. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you don't derail them at eight weeks out, Tom. You know, no. that's the, the yeah. cardinal rule. Yeah. Okay, the yeah. TDM. Yes. Fudge the results <laughs> until you get it right. And then go back behind scenes and scratch your head. Yes. Yeah. Scratch the noggin, as you'd call Yeah. No, look, I mean, it's, um, I mean, that's why... You know, like... Well, this um, is why, you, why we have Dr. Dr. Scally on board. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I, I do align myself with, with those with, with far more experience than... And I don't for one second confess to be anyone with any sort of uh, prowess in, in, in dealing with these types of things I, I, from my own personal experience and, you know, working with quite a few uh, athletes that have uh, dabbled in that side of things. And But it's, you know, I, I, I do always... Um, consult and, and um, you know uh, liaise with, with those uh, around me that have a lot of experience but you know with um, with that conversation we had about uh, about said individual mm. I also pointed out that you know to and you'd already done this anyway but for our listeners it's relevant you know okay let's not 
acknowledge that he's taking supplementation. Let's have a look. What would we normally do if if, yeah. if skin faults had come up? You know, and and you said there was a, a plethora of uh, reasons that that could have also contributed. Most likely, the estrogen related issue and the you know the 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 climbing levels and, and re- reaching that peak saturation and the the accompanying uh, estrogen levels that come along for the ride probably being the issue because those characteristics of that excessive fluid retention i mean the the personality change maybe maybe not like that's that's uh, individual as with everything mm. individual to individual specific and they may or may not have uh, you know that may or may not be related to the higher estrogen levels maybe it was because he was getting a little soft and pudgy and he was just snappy because yep. he didn't look good yeah more likely but um but certainly the fluid retention and the and the, certainly the tenderness through the nipples and the fact that you know, um, it was about six to eight weeks in when, when it, you know, because it's all to do with the half-life of and the and the active life of the, the half-life is basically how long it takes for the product to halve its potency in the blood. So mm. it'll wreak, uh, you know, you would you would take whatever drug, any, you know, oral or injectable or anything, aspirin, Panadol, whatever. And then uh, basically the half-life is the duration it will take to halve. So if there's 100 milligrams in the blood and then it has a five-hour half-life, then five hours later, it'd be 50 milligrams in the blood. Mm-hmm. Five hours later, 25 milligrams. Five hours later, 12.5 milligrams. Five hours later, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but that all adds up to the active life. So half-life uh, breaks down, but there's still some in the blood. And, the, you know, you take the, the oral again or the injectable again, then it, it compounds on what's already there. Then you take it again, it compounds depending on the frequency that you're taking the drug. Yep. Until it reaches this, uh, so there's this this ebb and flow, these peak and drop, peak drop, peak drop, and eventually it sort of Trending stabilizes. Up. Yeah, it trends up, and then it stabilizes at a certain level based on the how the dose you're administering and the frequency you're administering uh, the drug or taking the drug based on the half life and the active life. It's based on the half life based fundamentally so yeah it would make sense and and usually it's uh it is that that four to six weeks and 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 until you see it sort of peak levels in the blood depending on the compound of course and um so all the signs were there you know pointing and and the product the what he was taking did have uh, an associated side effect of higher estrogen levels because you know everyone um you know men that's how we produce estrogen primarily through uh you know, the aromatase enzyme converting testosterone. So it makes sense if testosterone goes up, then estrogen will go up. Yeah. So it got to the point. But, you know, that might have also been, you know, I think, you know, his routine had changed a little bit. Maybe sleep wasn't so good. So there are all these other reasons that, that you know, need to be addressed at the same time as, as you know, dealing with the, the higher estrogen levels. And, you know, ultimately, you know, a blood test would have revealed that as well. So yeah. in a perfect world, it'd be, yeah, cool. All right, let's go run bloods and see what's going on and um, that's certainly for any of our listeners that uh, are contemplating doing anything like this you know um, uh, it's always better if you do go through a, um, a doctor or a medical professional and um, you know more often than not they are they will give you the you know this is not good for your health or, you know give you the forewarning but at the very least you can run you know you're the patient you should be able to run your blood chemistry and then at least check to see all your levels. I mean, there's a duty of care there. Mm. Even if they don't agree with what you're doing, you can still pay. They might not run it through the um, where Medicare it's free, system, Medicare yeah. system, but you can certainly pay. But that would have been the, the gold standard to check mm. uh, to see what his estrogen levels were doing. But yeah, I, I would assume it would be estrogen-related, certainly with the nipple sensitivity. But um, yeah, it's, it's uh, but like I said to you, nothing comes for free. You no, know? Like, right. uh, like I, I do, as our listeners know, testosterone therapy but but part of my therapy what do i have to do with that well i have to take some uh an aromatase inhibitor which is what you just described this this uh client of yours had to take and uh, i have to take that very low dose but um and that has certain side effects with it you don't really yeah. notice anything but that's anything that you take is going to have uh, side yeah. effects so i take that to to reduce the estrogen because my estrogen does i do aromatize um and that generally increases with age and, and higher body fat percentage because the aromatase enzymes produced in fat cells. Fat cells so yeah. the more fatter you are, obviously, an obese individual will have a lot of estrogen and mm-hmm. you know no testosterone. So it's a really um, a hard situation there. But and then I've got um, you know the the DHT issues, the dihydrotestosterone, which testosterone will convert to as well. Uh, which is great for you know um, anabolic for hair, skin, nail, and, and skeletal muscle as well. But you know, DHT will also be a, 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 
potent uh, driver of hair loss. Yep. So, you know, at the age of 43, I, I do, uh, it's getting a little thin, but I, I want to try and, so I got to take uh, finasteride. So that's to balance uh, that out. Yeah, it, it reduces the 5 alpha reductase enzyme, yeah. which, uh, so we're reducing the aromatase enzyme, reducing the 5 alpha reductase enzyme, which converts testosterone to D dihydrotestosterone. So I yep. take that as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like it's yeah, it's cool, and and then obviously it's uh, it's for life. Yeah. So I can choose not to take testosterone therapy, and stop administering it, uh, you know, every ten days, and then uh, but then I default back to what I was beforehand. So for me, you know, the fact that I have to do that, I have to take the nasrazol, take the um, finasteride, the to, to block DHT is is all within part and parcel. Yeah, that's Comes fine. I don't, I, I don't mind doing that. But yeah, I can certainly understand. And the gels and and um, there are obviously patches and gels and stuff. So it certainly doesn't have to be the way I do it. But um, but yeah, like yeah, there's always uh, you, you, like you said, you, you you push the endocrine system this way, and then you know this happens. Like yeah. it's it's. Uh, and I and I do get amused with the uh, well not amused it's not not funny but but certain um, you know, I talk to females and they're like oh you know I want to I want to use some supplementation to get you know put on muscle it's like yeah, okay all right cool well nothing comes for free so that's cool you you can take something that's going to build muscle but it's going to have all these virilization side effects that mm. men don't have issues with because men are men yeah but basically you're going to start becoming a man you yes. know and it's dose related and uh, duration related so just understand that. Mm. And I don't think they really understand what that what that means, and and uh, you know they don't necessarily get it. It's like, well, yeah, that's not fair, you know, or whatever. It's like, well, it's just is what it is. Like mm. you can't increase how anabolic you are and and make you essentially more like a man with with higher androgen levels and build muscle like a man and not have all those uh, androgenic uh, effects, effects that come along for yeah. it as well. So and look, it is. Yeah. I always do find um, it's an interesting scenario an interesting mental decision that the the female makes in that moment when the virilization effects start to reveal themselves a little bit. That first time you notice that yeah. maybe the, the voice has just changed a fraction mm. or, you know, the, just a few of these little, you know, yeah. the, uh, down, and, I mean, the and, thing and they make the decision to continue to, to push through that. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that, um, unusually they would be, uh, like I know girls, that that will be their... Their proxy, you know, when when things starts to be visible and yep. people comment, then it's like, okay, cool. Okay. Then they they stop it, and then you know, then they might go on again for a, a duration, then come off it, and that will be their world if they do want to try and uh, you know dabble in uh, supplementation to build extra muscle. And you know, but at the same time, I respect their decision if 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 they weigh up all the pros and cons, and just like a man, just yeah. like that client of yours, yeah, now he he just he's been training hard, eating well, and. You know, he's had low testosterone, so he's taking things into his own hands and and supplementing, and and he's well aware of the the you know negative side effects. Well, why is it okay for him and not a female? Like it's like they get frowned upon. Oh, you know, you shouldn't mm. you shouldn't take antibiotics. Well, it's a girl; they want to build more muscle. Why can't like it's okay for us to? Yeah. Like it's yeah. It's we know it's well, it's not good for your health, but I understand. You know, you're a dude; you want to be jacked. What about when a female wants to get jacked or, or build more muscle? And mm. it's all relative, you know. They don't morph into a, you know, they're not going to take this doses. They don't need to take these doses that men will take to get uh, a significant amount of muscle mass. You know, a, a little goes a long way with a female, but yep. um, you know, and, and the virilization side of things is uh, is usually dose dependent, and um, from what I've seen anyway, and and duration, you know, duration. If they do see those side effects and they choose to push through, then. Mm then some of those manifest as being permanent or some degree of permanency long term like yeah. it's but it always seems to be a regression back to um, um, uh, much less when they do do stop supplementing but um, but you know my experience is limited with it like I, it's not like I've got a wealth of experience with, with male or female but um, just from what I've seen and, and people I've spoken to but mm. uh, it's, a, it's an interesting world that's a very sure. interesting world well, let's. Sure. Or why don't we talk to Broderick and talk yep. to someone who uh, is very immersed in that world and has yeah. a far more experience, experience than you or I. Definitely. Uh, go to com for various bits and pieces. Yep. Sign up to our newsletter. There might speak be speak pipe if the, you feel like it. Yep. You can lay a speak pipe. There might be some information coming out soon about uh, various seminars. Oh yes, uh, yes. In uh, 2018. 2018. So exciting times. And also keep an eye out for. 
two new segments coming to the the podcast in yes. the coming months. We've got Trench Talk, mm-hmm. which will be basically Rawdon, you and I talking about in the trenches, training-based nutritional things, our experiences, yep. client case studies, all yep. that kind of stuff in a very re- very relaxed yes. and probably a bit sloppy Thongs com- on. Yeah, kind of format. Uh, that'll be a subscription-only option, so you yep. can go to the website and say, okay, you know, if you are one of those crazy, crazy mad cats. individuals that wants to actually listen to Rawdon and I, then you have that option there. Then we've also got a, a some sort of coach directory. Actually, yeah, we're going to get um, coaches uh, from around the world. Yep, uh, who we know and respect. Uh, or who contact the podcast with mm. uh, a good set of, cre- of uh, credentials and a body mm. of work behind them, um, and we will interview that that yeah, individual for you know twenty to thirty 20, minutes. Twenty thirty minute interview, basically yep. talking about what their business I- is, who yeah. they like to work with, what they do, what their skill sets are, yeah. their thoughts on the industry, and then if you're looking for a coach in a particular part of the world, you can say, okay, he looks yep. good. What does he sound like? Mm. Hey, what's he like as a person or well, she? They, yeah, that could be a, a, a real um, game changer. You know, like yeah, uh, eh, just don't sort of click with them, but. The cool thing about uh, that's that uh, that coaches directory that we we've already got what I think five, five or six, five or six uh, coaches that we've recorded thus far, but we'll have a few more by the time it goes up. Uh, so there is actually a bit of a list on there. But but aside from being really cool to look uh, and hear how the coaches um, you know present themselves, it's a uh, it's pretty interesting too. Like hearing what all these I mean, all of them so far have been vastly different, all doing mm. slightly different things, and uh, so it, it's worth just to listen just because they're interesting individuals yeah. and uh, you know you and I are in the health and fitness industry so I, I find it fascinating uh, yep. it's a lot of fun uh, interviewing the guys for that but yeah. over time we should have a, a nice little database there um, so I'm really and we would like to uh, for you and I Rod, and it's great for us just to connect with more of our peers yeah which is really cool these, these as guys well. are doing amazing things yep. so uh, yeah alright well let's uh, let's have the evil genius mm. uh, this will be a good one some of your best work there Ken <laughs> Reevaluate your life, asshole. You're fucking it up because you can't cheat biology. A thousand grams of carbohydrates a day, that's what I'm fucking doing because you can't cheat biology. Roderick Chavez, the evil trick pony, is uh, once again on the Under the Bar podcast, Rodden. Always looking forward to these segments. Yeah, mate, it's uh, it's going to be a good one. We're going to wind him up, poke him with a, an angry bear. Yes. We're going to poke him with a stick and just let him go. This one's uh, one that's, uh, I guess if anyone doesn't know uh, Broderick or hasn't heard him before or, you know, is not aware of what his profound skill set is, it's probably what we're going to talk about today. today. Uh, yeah. A bit of a, a grey elephant in the room, but uh, we're going to... We're going to chuck that elephant in a cage and uh, poke the elephant today. So, last time we had him on, we were looking at the difference between athletes and, and bodybuilders. Body yep, yep. Nutrition, we looked at training philosophies without going into the hard sets, reps, that type of stuff. We got a real insight into what uh, what he feels are the, the points of difference. And uh, as the interview unraveled, of course, his mm. passion for working with those pharmacologically enhanced made mm. itself very apparent. Mm. And mm. so, we thought, why don't we get him on and let's go through the same process and have a look mm, mm. at natural versus enhanced mm. athletes, bodybuilders or athletes, and, and what the differences inherent well, I there could, are. I could probably chime in there, and uh, as much as we're probably going to go for 40 or, 40 or so minutes talking about this, Tommy, I could probably just say, well, his uh, skill set with unenhanced is uh, zero. zero. So <laughs> let's just not even bother. He, he, you know, he's bored by them. Yeah. He doesn't understand why they don't want to eke out every possible ounce of performance from the body. But uh, look, let's go through the motions. Let's have a chat about it, yeah, regardless of, of the facts and um where are we going to start mate welcome of course welcome uh, back Roderick. Roderick. it's not all about us you know it really it is though it, it, it is it's your <laughs> show it's your continent no, it's your, no, it's your no. everything i i'm literally just visiting but thank you thank you to you and thank you to all your listeners for being interested so i guess Roderick uh, rawdon's touched on it there and and I think last time we spoke i mean you you finished by saying there was there's that core element of mm. desire for a result mm. that is requisite in people who you work with and mm. so i guess that that's why the the pharmacological side of things is so intriguing to you because mm. it enables maximum human potential. Mm, mm, mm. Well, actually, I, I hate to do this, but I'm going to take issue with what you just said. Yeah, yeah um, Tom, good one. It, it does not. It actually exceeds 
normal human potential. Good point. The things that can be accomplished with drugs are literally and explicitly impossible without drugs. There are never going to be 300-pound lean physique athletes without drugs. It's a fairy tale. It's a fantasy. It will never happen. The species will evolve wings and fly the fuck away long before that's possible. It just can't happen. <laughs> so that, that, I, I do want to be very specific about that. It's not, you know, there's a there's an attitude among, you know, American housewives that watch news in the afternoon like, I don't understand why these athletes just take drugs. They Couldn't they just work harder and longer and get there anyway? Mm. And the answer is no. No, they cannot. Mm. No one mm. will ever run to 100 meters in 10 seconds without mm. drugs. It's not going to happen. Can it? So, okay. Anyway. Look, I mean, so. uh, I think uh, unless you've been living under a rock, that would probably be, you know, anyone who knows anything about sport and performance would, you know, certainly our listeners would probably agree. You know, so I think some of them are in denial where – no, no, professional athletes. Mm, 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 mm. They're uh, gifted. Uh, it's all, it's all within the realms of uh, possibility. And uh, but the reality is, I mean, obviously we're not here to to throw stones and say everyone is enhanced. But uh, it is certainly uh, a massive part of of uh, elite sport these mm. days. So. Where are we going to go, Tommy? Well, I mean, I mean it's it, a fascinating topic. Yes, if someone comes in, uh, Roderick, and and they are willing to go down that path, does it does it fundamentally change the way you approach working with that individual? Um, fundamentally, I would say no, but it it's it, it's kind of like if you uh, you know if you envisioned like doing something at night and you only have a flashlight, you know, you you can only see, you know three meters in front of you that's it that's your light runs out you can you cannot see what's beyond that and the only way you could get there is eek forward your three meters and then shine the light again and eek whereas if you're under the influence of these extraordinarily powerful exogenous compounds it's like turning on the floodlights in a stadium and suddenly you could see the other side so the the the, the playing field if you will follow the analogy is so much vastly larger it doesn't change the fundamental rules of adaptation the physiology of how muscles yep. grow and all that no but it makes the arena the area in which you have to move forward backward and left to right so much larger that it's really not comparable but not fundamentally different just it's like saying you know uh you know is is a race car fundamentally different than your family station wagon Really, it's not. It's four wheels, a seat, a steering yeah. wheel, and an internal combustion engine. Now, all the shit that's been done to it, it makes it so much different that if you don't have proper skills, you'll get in it and you'll die very quickly. That, that, that's accurate. But it's not fundamentally different. It's just orders of magnitude advanced. Okay. That's what we're talking about here. Uh, uh, all right. So basically, we, we, we understand, Tommy, that we have to obey the rules of physiology and uh, you know the process of hypertrophy, stimulate, recover, and all that type of stuff. Mm. Okay. Let's, why don't we start, uh, Brodick, with uh, similar to the way we started last time. Let's talk about the nutrition side of things. How fundamentally, again, we've got athletes and uh, bodybuilders, but let's, uh, let's talk about how if they are under the influence and we don't want this to be a how-to uh, segment Tommy where sure. we're going to tell them which compounds and you know if they do want to know more I'm sure they can heat you up yeah uh, you know like you uh, you're more than uh, happy uh, to talk about that stuff but let's talk about how it fundamentally changes things um, so nutritionally sure. let's 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 go down that route yes. where, what's the point of difference there between uh, someone that's on um, pharmacological enhancement well, there's there's two answers. Largely, the answer is it's not a lot different other than, again, orders of magnitude. People that use drugs typically are larger and or considerably more active because they have greater recuperative abilities. So the muscle mass and, 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 and BMR, as, you, as it were, is higher simply because they're bigger. And right. then this expo exploited and expanded training volume generally is more energy intensive so largely people using drugs simply consume much greater loads of calories um okay. so that's kind of a, a consequence less than a, an immediate influence but mm. if you do want to talk immediate influence um the the application of anabolic steroids largely um insulin and growth hormone may be a little less but maybe even still 
in a conversation. But specifically the application of anabolic steroids, the exact action, the mode of action of these drugs is that they make the body much more efficient in dealing with nitrogen. Meaning, per kilogram, a drug user actually needs slightly less protein than a non-drug user. So, and it, it, it typically doesn't really manifest itself in real-world numbers because, again, a drug user is usually larger. So their actual amount of protein they're eating is more. Yeah. But if you do the math and figure out the uh, grams per kilogram, a drug user can get away with substantially less protein than a natural because, by definition, a natural is less efficient or not super physiological, mm. which is what drugs do. Interesting uh, point there, and you could probably lend that to uh, how beginners, first time in the gym, and more advanced athletes, you know, the protein requirements there are a little bit different as well, Tommy. Yes. Absolute. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, fascinating. All right, so protein, uh, you know, uh, again comes down to the size of the individual that's really going to influence that. Yeah. All right. Well, while we're on that thread, Broderick, does that principle of being more efficient with the utilization of, of Good protein, point, Tommy. Does, does that apply to other macronutrients as well? Um, <clears throat> considerably less so. Uh, again, a drug user typically burns slightly more fatty acids per unit hour, but that's not really the influence of the drugs. That's the influence of they are more muscular and muscle is the thing that consumes those substrates. Right. So the answer is yes, but it's not a direct influence. It's a consequence of drugs make you bigger and stronger. Being bigger and stronger tends to consume more fatty acids per yeah. unit time. Right. So I, I, I will be I will I will accept you saying yes, but I would uh, make it the addendum where it's it's not really bending the rules of physiology. Mm. It's just if you were able to accrue that amount of muscle without drugs, you would still have that advantage. Right, so right. it's more about the muscle than the drugs. So when people talk about um, <clears throat> oh I've got you know the enhanced. Uh, nutrient partitioning and oh, that yeah. It's, mitochondria yeah it's just a result of the fact that there's just more muscle there agreed yes yeah. it is it doesn't really have any enzymatic influence on how or where or why the body chooses a given substrate it's just muscles consume that stuff if you have more muscle there's more consumption and really the percentages and ratios and what have you are the same just scaled up just like the way in a, a, your family station wagon's engine works is the same as a formula one car it just scaled up greatly yeah okay in terms of uh, performance, Broderick. You, you spoke about point, the um, the expanded training volume mm. that the the, yes. the the drugs allow an athlete. Is that essentially what's what enables them to to be so much better? You, you can just train more. Yeah. Or? And, and I will jump in there. I think yeah, I've heard you reference uh, before, Broderick, where basically volume and anabolic steroids go hand in hand. Like you'd be foolish not Absolutely. to. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, let's talk Absolutely. about that. Um. Well, there's, there's actually a number of things here. We, uh, in, in earlier conversations uh, the other day, we referenced Lyle McDonald, uh, who's a good friend of mine and super smart guy. Mm. Um, and interestingly, he's largely not a drug guy. He's, he mostly focuses on naturals, which is, I think, why we communicate so well as we have similar but yet opposite end of the spectrum skill sets. And so when we meet in the middle, it's typically a pretty good ground. Uh, and I think we recognize that in one another and, and use that to our advantage. But something that he likes to reference is there was a number of studies done in the early 2000s where they, they really came to the realization that steroids by themselves do manifest more muscle completely and wholly independent of exercise. Yeah. Uh, they actually did a study where they, they took a group of naturals um, who had already been training, mind you, and one group continued to train as per their norm, and the other group stopped training but started taking anabolic steroids. <laughs> and at the end of a couple of different time frames and dose frames, they remeasured everyone, and the people that did no exercise but took drugs uh, generated the same or greater results in terms yeah. of retention of muscle mass. <laughs> so this is was done with you know laboratory conditions and, and et cetera. So it's pretty well established that steroids in and of themselves do have an influence on the production and retention of muscle mass. That said, it's wildly then exaggerated by, I think we can all agree that the workout is the thing that ultimately stimulates the muscle. So if you could do more 
bigger workouts in the same volume of time. It's just like going to work. If, if I can only go to work eight hours a day and I earn $10 an hour, but you can go to work 20 hours a day and earn $10 an hour, at the end of a week, your check's going to be much bigger than mine. Yeah, it's yeah. just not hard to make, make an argument against that. That's what we've got here is the drugs in and of themselves seem to be beneficial in, in, in isolation, but then with the fact that they allow you so much more workout, then even if the results were the same per workout, they're still super efficacious. Yeah. And, and is that, um, and you break that down on a, a biological or a physiological um, angle, is that uh, obviously let's talk about testosterone, for example, and obviously there's there's lots of different classes, the DHT, 19 or testosterone. We could talk about all that stuff and I would... Uh, get a little woody talking about all that but we won't um like what mediates the the ability to recover is it that 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 uh, protein retention and that nitrogen retention like why all of a sudden when 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 we increase our uh, androgen status we can just bam handle more more volume like i understand the volume's driving the hypertrophy over time but what's that fundamentally allowing that that to happen mm. or is it just the um, sheer is it just well, just being more anabolic it just it's a multitude I don't know how deep you want me to go into this, so I'll, I'll, I'll say what just jumps to my well, mind. We deep. talked in earlier podcasts about how uh, testosterone and then ensuing synthetic anabolic steroids, uh, tech, technicality folks, testosterone is actually not an anabolic steroid. It's an androgen. Everything made from it or made to look like it is an anabolic steroid. Separate conversation, but it is relevant. Um, so testosterone and or anabolic steroids are the major anabolic signaling hormone. They signal the expression of protein. So it's not surprising that in and of itself, for instance, if you um, just took, ran, you, know, you went to the local shopping mall or the local football game or something, and you just lined up 100 males and you put them in order of muscle mass, you're the biggest, you go to front of the line, you're the smallest, end of the line, so on and so forth. Maybe not perfectly, but in a very general biological bell yeah. curve sense, you have now just organized them in order of plasma testosterone. The most muscular is almost certainly the higher end of the anabolic spectrum. The least muscular is almost certainly the lowest end. So, so in nature, that curve follows. Now we're just leaving nature behind and going off into a separate realm. But the, you know, if you just think of smallest to largest mm. and then envision bigger, 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 great big, that's what we're doing with steroids. Mm. So it's, it's really not surprising on a biological level that that happens. And then Again, if you consider that testosterone and or androgens is the thing that uh, reflects the magnitude of response per workout, again, as you get higher and higher up the dose marker, not only can you do more workouts, but each workout is theoretically more productive yeah. in terms of retention and production of protein. Yeah. So it's that's, like a, that's why it just simply works better. A compounding effect. It's fascinating, Tom. And if we look look across the room here, so we're in the studio, and we've basically got what you just described. We've got Cam. You, you've pretty much got zero testosterone there, Cam. And we get Tom in the middle. Uh, you know, you've got some good testosterone. And I'm on TRT, so we know mine are percolating away. And, yeah. and the muscle mass uh, correlates as well. It's at uh, the bell curve. Bell I mean, curve. science. Tom. Biological bell curve. Biological bell curve. Yeah. Fascinating. Righto, Broderick. So if we see... Uh, Where are we going, Tom? Well, if we have like the Mr. Olympia up on stage and you said there's no way you can have, have that much muscle mass without anabolic enhancement. without enhancement right mm. and so we can see how dramatic an impact it has on that sport mm. yes you've also yeah. said that we can't have anyone uh, run under 10 seconds in 100 meters mm. under 20 seconds uh, I think you said yeah. no 100, 100 <laughs> under 20 um, 100 under 10 seconds without anabolics as well yet those people they could yeah they're obviously awesome athletes but they don't look as vastly different to the human eye is what a pro bodybuilder does. Interesting. I don't know where you're going, Tommy. So if it's not absolute muscle well, mass, like how... What's, yeah, is it, is I it actually strength? Have, I actually have a ready-made answer for you. Um, Go ahead. Again, the difference in terms of whether... A, with the big conversation as to whether or not a bodybuilder is an athlete is what you just referenced is the perfect exemplification of why they're not. Is in bodybuilding, it's all about basically just eating taking drugs and weight training that, that's your job is just to ever accrue more you get bigger there's no endeavor you don't have to run jump flip you know anything whereas let's take a hundred meter runner the goal ultimately is simply to run faster that 
is partially predicated by muscle mass, but it's also partially predicated on skill. There's actually a skill to running, getting your knees high, extending a certain way, pushing off a certain portion of the foot, not allowing the arch of your foot to collapse, absorbing the next step properly. There is a skill to running. And in all skills, just like learning a foreign language or learning chemistry or you know going to school and learning algebra, largely you accomplish a skill by practicing. He who practices the most accrues the most skill. Therefore, if you have a class of drugs that allows you more training volume, mm. that's code for you get to practice more. If nice. one guy can only run 10 hundred meters a day and he's gassed and another guy can run 4,700 meters a day, which guy has more potential to improve their abilities? It's simple. It, it, there's no difficulty in understanding that. Mm. Yes, and then so with a with a skill acquisition like that, what's going on with the physiology to with the anabolics? How do they en- enable more and more skill acquisition and more and more practice in, in the same way that you explained the signal from testosterone to to build um, muscle? Well, there actually you you've actually entered a, a slippery area, and I can't speak with the same level of conviction that I can on other things because uh, I'm presently reading these studies and I, I don't have you know, uh, an immersion, but there are some studies coming forward that actually shows that it is is highly likely, bordering on probable, that a volume of androgens influences motor learning, i.e. those people with higher testosterone levels or synthetically elevated testosterone levels actually accrue skill faster yes. than those that do not. Uh, the, the actual androgen seems to have an influence on the neurological efficiency and motor unit activation and some other aspects of how mu- the brain controls muscles and how muscles communicate with the brain. Yeah. So there's that. But then even if you don't consider that, it's just simply if you're volitionally doing something to get better and you have the ability to yeah. do more of that, that in itself lends itself to greater skill acquisition just because you're able to more repetitions mm. you know it's it's like anything like if you talk about even uh uh like i once carried a gun for work i i worked as a, a, a private security and i was a horrible marksman and the, the the they would just say right away every time is it's a matter of repetitions just draw your gun fire put it back draw your gun fire put it back eventually you'll either get sick of trying to learn and go away or you'll actually get better at this shit. Yes. And it turns out I actually got sick of it and went away. But the the principle is very valid. That's how you get better is you just fucking do it until you're good at it or you fail. And that's what we've got here. It's funny in the past, Broderick, you've said that, uh, you know, testosterone acts on, pr- you know, pretty much across the body, you know, mm-hmm. your hair, mm-hmm. your skin, mm-hmm. all this. It makes it makes sense that Perfect it, would, sense, it yeah. might have some impact on the, the way the, the, mm-hmm. the neurology of the brain actually works and these neural pathways form. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely, and I think Absolutely. Broderick's really painting a quite a positive picture for everyone to go and uh, increase their testosterone <laughs> levels. Yes, yes. I do that. I tend to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, absolutely fascinating. So we're getting a bit of a bit of a picture. I'm gonna I'm gonna just go completely obtuse and, and laterally here. My my favorite client, um, actually in terms of coaching pharmacology, was actually somebody who worked in a professional porn industry. Actually contracted me to make them bigger, leaner, and more virile. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Wait a second. Are wow. you are you going where I think you're going? Did you say the, the appendage actually grew as well? No, but this performance thereof oh, did, yes. without question. Because yeah. I, yeah, you know, a- the bigger you get, the smaller it looks, Tom. It's all about illusions. <laughs> it's all ratios. Ratios. Yes. <laughs> you got, you got to stop training and legs. I've mentioned repeatedly that I have very small hands, so I, I you know, that <laughs> yeah, Jack- illusion works to my favor. Jackie's yeah. got tiny hands too, so I'm, 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 I'm set. <laughs> it's a match made in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Oh, she's a keeper. All right, where yeah, are you going, Tommy? Absolutely. I'm sorry. Um, so once the, uh, you know, you are working with someone who is, is you know, enhanced, enhanced yep. going down that path, are there then other things you have to factor in health-wise or supplementation-wise? Yeah. What, 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 what else do you chemi- have to weigh up? Blood chemistry as well, Broderick. Do you, um, I'm, I'm assuming, you know, from a biology background, you're dotting I's, crossing T's there. What sort of things do you look at on the blood work and keep an eye on? And, and I suppose that's compound-specific uh, as well? 
Well, the the answer is actually more uh, le- well less exciting than you want it to be. In that, I would, and I, as we've talked about, I don't really work with naturals. It's happened on a rare occasion, and I actually treat them exactly the same. I will still look at their blood work, uh, assuming there's going to be nothing aberrant because they're not influencing themselves with drugs. But I would still look at their creatinine, their lipid profile, mm. uh, their ALT, SLT. I would look at those things because those are markers of health, and health is a major influencer on performance. Yep. If you've got an aberrant health marker, we might want to find out why, if not to help your health, possibly and very probably to help your performance so in reality i don't really differentiate the only differentiation is that drug users tend to have more aberrant blood markers because they're doing more bad shit to themselves so the answer is kind of yes but really no again these things are universal pulse blood pressure body temperature hours of sleep that is universal across the animal kingdom but then risk factors compound how closely and frequent we look at certain markers like maybe liver and kidney functions and etc and then yes certain compounds do uh exacerbate certain aspects for instance the uh, the anabolic steroid boldenone known as equipoise is notorious for elevating blood solids and hemoglobin and hematocrit well if we were going to use that compound for some reason we might go to extra lengths to frequently check blood viscosity and not give okay. you a stroke that's that's a good you know a, a good insurance but in general, I would look at those things for everyone all the time anyway, okay. just possibly less frequently or less intensively. And what about, um, I'm sure our listeners would be curious, uh, uh, liver support, milk thistle, some vitamin D, multi, like, is there any, any staples that you, aside from, I don't know what you're going to say, nutritionally, make sure, you know, nutrition's fuel, make sure that's good. You've already alluded in the last segment that uh, that that's loaded with all your valuable uh macro and micronutrients but apart from that is there any anything that you always across the board like to use uh with anyone that, there, that is pharmacologically is, enhanced there there is but it's actually none of the things you just suggested Go um largely these take this to prevent your health to prevent you know b- bar yourself against that most of that's nonsense it's marketing goofy shit uh there's very little validity behind any of that shit under the best of conditions um you know so largely the answer to that is no however there are some relevant efficacies there in that for instance um we don't need to dwell on the, the chemistry and all the complicated shit but um Nothing works in isolation. It's not there's testosterone in your blood, so boom, you just magically grow muscle. It has to bind to a cell, transmit a message, do a lot of complicated goodness. That complicated goodness in rabbit ears is mediated by things. In this case, enzymes and minerals. Where I'm going with this is the mineral zinc is highly uh, used in the process of getting testosterone from your blood to a muscle cell to tell it to make more muscle. So it is very likely, even probable, that the average person is somewhat zinc deficient. Now, if you elevate your androgen levels by several hundred percent, you're almost certainly zinc deficient to this new environment. Mm. So supplementing with zinc is a very good idea. Maybe not so much for the health, but for the getting the maximum efficiency out of the health risk you're already taking. That's a great okay. thing. Uh, chromium is actually very similar in the uh, the, the growth hormone uh, um, insulin cycle. I uh, don't need to go into the specifics, but just trust me, it's involved. And most people are already deficient, so most athletes are surely deficient. So zinc and chromium jump to mind as two really useful things in the making the whole big picture work better. Yes, okay. Okay, chromium, zinc, check. Yes. And in terms of the whole big picture as well, athletes versus general population you know like general population will be uh, deficient in various micronutrients and whatever because of their nutrition but because of athletes just the amount of stuff that they do in the training do you generally find that everyone's a little bit deficient in minerals anyway um actually it's again it's kind of funny but particularly bodybuilders maybe a little less so athletes because again bodybuilders eat so much food per unit weight compared to almost any other demographic on earth bodybuilders are actually not deficient in a hell of a lot simply because there's such wholesale gluttony involved it's hard to be deficient in anything (laughs) when you're eating the same amount of food as most 
African villages. Yeah. It, it's just the, the way it is. You know, yes, the average person is probably z- deficient in manganese or I don't know, just make something up, whatever, copper. But the you know the the reality is you know the average person eats one tomato a week, yes. whereas the average bodybuilder eats seventeen with their salad. So it, it's it's just not relevant usually. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, fair, you, cool. And you mentioned Broderick a couple of the, of the different uh, compounds. Is there certain yes. are there certain uh, compounds you want to go to for bodybuilding uh, distinct from say running a hundred meters like different things that have absolutely different effects? Yeah, that's more. probably a, a conversation unto itself. Yeah. But consider this. I'll, I'll, I'll give you again by way of analogy, just because it's kind of the only way I think. Um, antibiotics. They all do exactly the same thing. They inhibit the reproduction of bacteria. They they bind to the surface of the bacteria, make it relatively unable to uh, they they actually not unable they they slow the reproduction of bacteria giving your white blood cells the ability to overwhelm them giving them kind of the advantage in the race these are retarded in their reproduction these are not these win so all antibiotics do exactly the same thing but through a hundred years of medical application it's been discovered that these antibiotics seem to work better for dental infections. These certain seem to work yeah. better on respiratory infections. These seem to work better on systemic infections and so on. Even though they all do exactly the same thing mm. in general, they seem to be niche. We have exactly the same behavior in almost every other class of medicine, hormones particularly. All anabolic steroids bind to the exactly the same receptor and communicate with the basic same parts of the cell. But these group of drugs, DHT-derived drugs largely, tend to exacerbate the expression of protein and little else, whereas 19 nor derivatives seem to exacerbate the ex- expression of protein and a whole bunch of other things like the retention of carbohydrates, uh, the creatine synthase enzyme, the on and on and on and on. So, yes, different drugs express greater or lesser actions within a given pathway and therefore could be much more or less applicable to a given endeavor. Yeah. And you have to be knowledgeable about what the compound's capable of, and this is where a lot of people fail: is that the drug knowledge is actually pretty prevalent now with the internet, but the actual real, real-world requirements of a given activity are sometimes a bit elusive. It's not as dry as you would think. You really have to be an expert within the sport, or consult an expert within the sport to really understand what it is you want to. Uh, exaggerate and then pick your compounds cleverly to match that Mm. and then pick your training to match that and then pick your nutrition to match that so it's really a much bigger picture than people just oh swallow some pills run like hell not so much and and, and I suppose Broderick while you're um, on that same uh, topic that it would be timing as well like you'd probably lean lean more towards certain compounds at certain off-season type uh, preparations and then and then you know you mentioned uh, you know uh, glycogen retention stuff like this I mean you know making weight for certain weight classes you might revert to uh, different compounds to cut cut weight so that's a a whole uh, another ball game there Tommy I wonder, Broderick, if you think about the money involved in some uh, elite professional sports, are there are there very smart men in white lab coats in labs trying to develop the perfect compound for for an individual sport? Oh, absolutely, yes. without a doubt. I mean, we have them. Fuck, it's not even it's not even a, a theoretical endeavor. Um, the the GDR, the German Democratic Republic, uh, in the '60s or uh, '50s actually, and then maybe into the '60s, spent millions of dollars in 1960s dollars to generate the perfect drug for Olympic weightlifting. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's, it's, it's available. It's known as Trinobol. They took Dianabol and excised the parts they didn't like, exaggerated the parts they did like, and they got a very fast-acting, easily excreted, therefore easy-to-beat a drug test, drug that really, really influences force production and protein retention and really, really doesn't influence a lot of the other things. You can take a pretty significant dose of Trinobol and not gain any weight, but get hundreds of kilograms stronger in a in combined lifting power uh it, it's it's a really a wonder of science quite wow. literally but don't get you started on uh, whether you actually prefer a trinobol to a dianabol because that's a whole different uh, conversation in itself <laughs> it, it really is it really is Be- but again my preference is really to be fair Rodan, i my preference is really a 
more on application. Yeah. There are reasons to really want Trinaball. For instance, if you you know wanted to beat a drug test or win a uh, an Olympic lifting competition, it's well, really a great choice. Well, but uh, for bodybuilding, it's a horrible choice. Interestingly, so, um, that Trinaball, I noticed uh, quite a few of um, the weightlifters got done with that one uh, recently. That um, that Greek guy, I think he was Greek. The, the head. He won the under 80s, then he went up to 100, 110s, and he's just like this freak. But I think he tested positive to Trinobol. Yeah. Not surprising. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's funny, the uh, the IOC, WADA in general, they uh, they tend to focus on the names people know. They actually play politics in their, not just politics, but marketing in their actual drug testing scenario. Is mm. They spend disproportionate amounts of money catching the, quote, classic recognizable compounds if they catch somebody for some bizarre you know growth hormone releasing peptide the public goes what's that i don't even know is that bad like i don't know but if they hear trinabol or dianabol or then the public goes oh yeah i know that shit's terrible yeah. get them you know, yeah it's, right. it's funny they're, they're as dishonest as as any they're as bad as a catholic church maybe hey. worse and and broderick where do you think the the future of pharmacology is going is it like technology in general is just expanding and progressing at such a compounded yes. rate i mean it, it, is it so in this field as well absolutely um there's probably two competitive uh, uh endeavors seeking to be the future one is this whole, you know, quote, revolution, which really isn't a revolution, it's actually a renaissance. The concept of SARMs goes all the way back to the 1950s, but they're now being rediscovered, re-examined, uh, and re-exploited. So that's definitely going to change the, the complexion of the future to some degree. Uh, we won't go into the details of what that is, but it's a different class of drugs that do most of the same things that steroids do. They will definitely influence how the future looks. And then there's consistently these rumors coming out of the Caribbean, largely Jamaica, and uh, strangely and completely separately, Argentina, that there are groups wholesale um, working out the perfecting details of uh, athletic gene doping, gene splicing, and gene augmentation. Yeah. And if that's accurate, and I sincerely suspect that it is, um, we will just make people ever more favorable to athletics to the point where drugs are probably the second most important thing behind mm -hmm. just buying the really good, you know, kind of like buying a really good race car makes the driver a little less important. I think we're going to have the same environment in sports where you can just purchase <laughs> such a good athletic package that you really don't have to be particularly motivated or clever or, you know, risk-taking. Oh it's just God. fucking good. That's well, crazy. Uh, that's fascinating. So ask him from the get-go, Broderick, are they, like actually born and then grow into this athlete, that's what you're talking about, or someone that exists uh, splicing the genes and, and, and changing what is already there. Well, I think the former is the ultimate goal, but what I understand is taking place is the latter. Um, there are cells within your skin that are um, uh, rather famous and notorious. They're, they're just blanks. They don't do anything. They're just there. They don't seemingly have a function. It's not understood if they are evolutionarily working toward a new function or evolutionarily working away from an old function. But presently, they're just kind of blanks. They have a nucleus, but they don't do much. Um, it, the, the story goes, and it's very believable, that it has been figured out how to introduce different genetic material into these cells and then make them do something clever. Like, for instance, produce growth hormone. So if you can teach a million of your blood, uh, skin cells to you know, just randomly, or not randomly, but just uh, avant-garde produce growth hormone, you would suddenly have an enormous advantage over somebody without that ability. So these are the kinds of things I'm hearing that are taking place, and it's very believable. Um, it even kind of matches some of the things you see statistically and visually in the morphology and performance of individuals. Mm. Uh, so I, I strongly suspect it is happening on some level and probably to an even greater degree in the laboratory that will ultimately manifest and yeah when you just when you want to make a baby you just go buy the you know i want the you know really tall athletic package and that's the <laughs> embryo you move forward with wow. And, wow. and you make a really athletic baby that's crazy crazy
Broderick, you mentioned, uh, well, well, we'll wrap things up here because we are pushed for time, but you mentioned evolution, and I can't get you on here and, and let you go without chucking some sort of witch doctory at you. Yeah, go and get him, Tom. Get him. Fair enough. Get now, him. Uh, Happy cells. Everyone should do what they do best. Obviously, I believe that. Yeah. Obviously, you'd be aware <laughs> of the, um, the very renowned uh, biologist Rupert Sheldrake. Okay. What are your thoughts on his, on his theory of uh, morphic resonance and the morphic field? Um, I'm actually going to admit my ignorance. I think I've heard the name, but I honestly don't Go even on, give know. It, give us a rundown, really? Tommy. What, what what's he the prattles concept? on about. No, I, I'm... What's the word I'm looking for? Because I don't want to sound like a, a, a close-minded douchebag, but I <laughs> try not to expose myself to things that I know are going to make me uh, fear for my life, and, and that probably falls under the heading... What's, what's, uh, I, I what's, don't want to drive my blood pressure up and what's the concept stop around the house. Right, so they did a, s- a series of tests on rats. Where well, that's they, got Broderick on board so far. Where they put them through a maze, and they mm-hmm. found, they weren't testing for this, but they found that each generation of rats um, found their way through the maze faster and faster. And yeah, the, and okay, the, I, am, I am familiar with some of that. Yes, I am. Uh, I didn't even realise that's what that was, but yes. Yes, and that... You know, you could train rats in a maze in one part of the world, and of that same species, the rats thereafter would get more and more better at faster results at going through this maze. And the theory is that there's a, a morphogenic field within species that that is like a, I guess, a collective a collective knowledge that they all have access to. So a, a, a giraffe is born with all of the instincts and knowledge of all the giraffes that that have ever been mm. and, and that, that they sort of their forefathers yes and there's a field that that's connecting us all well that's <laughs> not as you know i i think it's being taken to an absurd level and yeah. an absurd degree to think that you know uh, you know i albert einstein talked about his disdain for uh, quantum mechanics because of act- spooky action over distance didn't believe that two things could communicate that weren't directly in communication and I tend to agree with that however there is the real science of instinct that it is relatively ununderstood and, and non-elucidated by science how instincts are passed on an animal comes out of the womb knowing to fear certain things yeah. Knowing to fear certain predators, creatures with big eyes, etc. There, there is genetically passed down in information that is uh, understandable and utilizable essentially from the womb. That's a real science. Mm. And so what you're saying isn't ludicrous. I think it's a radical extension of that and a radical exaggeration of that. But on a fundamental level... Creatures do share knowledge through mechanisms we don't yet fully understand. Yes. Um, so th- th- there is a certain reality to that. So I wouldn't immediately yeah. just say, oh, it's stupid, don't spend any money and study it. But I would okay. say, lower your expectations a bit. I think that's a bit of a, a, an exaggeration. Well, I, I'm but, happy to take that. Mm. I wasn't shut down completely, so that's a, that's a win in my department. Take it and run with it, Tommy. Yeah, I will. That's the I best will. you're going to get from that, Broderick. That's the best I will ever get. I'll give it up. All right, <laughs> All right. Broderick, if people want to get in contact with you, what's the best uh, What's the best bet? Don't bring up anything that's going to make my blood pressure go up and make me scream and yell. But uh, <laughs> if you can meet those arrangements, then uh, my website, uh, www.teamevilgsp or the Team Evil GSP moniker on any of the major social media outlets, and I'll get back to you as quick as I can. Awesome. Great, Broderick. So informative as usual. Pleasure to have you on. Absolute pleasure again, Broderick. Look forward to chatting uh, in the future. Absolutely. I'd love to come back. Thanks. Thank you, mate. Bye-bye. Absolutely fascinating stuff there from the evil genius, Broderick Shiver. I mean, that's it, Rorden. Right at the very start off the bat, he just said... You know, uh, with the right kind of pharmacology, taking normal human being beyond what is humanly possible. Yeah, fascinating. And uh, it, look, it would be uh, sport would be a boring world. Yeah, if it wasn't uh, drowning in uh, anabolic <laughs> use. <laughs> it certainly has changed Seems the way I, I watch sport. Like I'm a big fan of the NBA. The NBA season has just started, and you've got these guys that are anywhere Pump from anabolics, six mate. foot Pumped. five to seven feet. You know, hundred to hundred. 20 kilos, they're lean, they're big, they play 80 games a regular season, they're playing multiple times a week, they're 
jumping, the impact, the joints, it's quite physical. Mm. You just wonder how do they keep performing night after night after night at such an incredible level. Yeah. I mean, and, look, and it, look it, you've got no idea. You've got yeah. no idea, but it does, when you hear someone who's worked with individuals uh, so closely and says it's just not possible without it, yeah, uh, it does make you think. That's yeah. all I'll say. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> it is what it is. It is you know, what it is. It, yeah. You know, it is what it is. And um, it seems far more plausible to uh, entertain the the notion that they, put, you know, they are uh, using some sort of uh, uh, exogenous supplementation, mm. um, whether it, you know, who knows what that is. And, yeah. And to be honest, you know, it, it probably isn't what you and I would have uh, access to or, or no. what, what people wear. I mean, there, I mean, there's so much money in sport. Like, yeah. They're light years ahead of, of what well, we're doing. Well, I mean, as Broderick alluded to then, in, in uh, Jamaica, they could be into gene splicing, actually growing yeah. sprinters. Yes. You know? That's mind-boggling. <laughs> mind-boggling. Really cool stuff. Now, we should say, Roy, and over the last couple of weeks, there has been a fair bit of yes. talk about this, and we had Dr. Scally on talking about this. Well, that's, so all, we're, all, we're, uh, that's all we want to be known for, mate, <laughs> the murkiness. So we'll, uh, disclaimer. Well, so let's get back to the uh, next couple of weeks. We'll get a few few new Juicy guests on, guests. We'll, and we'll, we'll go in a slightly different direction we're not yeah. going to make the whole podcast about that but it is no. pretty bloody interesting i gotta say it's fascinating yeah. it's fascinating and it's, and it's great to hear it uh from the horse's mouth so to speak mm-hmm. i mean his uh product's wealth of experience it um yeah i can listen to him all day like yeah. i do yeah really good that's been another episode of the under the bar podcast thank you so much for listening i hope you have a lovely day thanks cam thanks rawdon now if they want to get in touch with you uh tomhewitt.com.au <laughs> with me the elusive uh website feel free to check it out although i think it's been taken down I just don't yeah, think it's, it's gone. It's there gone. Is anything there? There's we'll get, just we'll get our campaign manager on that. Yeah, yeah. Tazzy will sort something out. But something. just on uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, the Dubai Method, or hit me up on my private page. Yep, very Happy nice. To chat. Oh, hit me on private page. <laughs> <laughs>